Have you ever had a God moment? Have you had a God moment recently? Well, I had one a fortnight ago. Are you going to come and sort this thing out for me? Yeah. So while he's sorting it out, I'll tell you about my God moment. Um, It was Sunday morning. It was Easter Sunday morning. And I said to Jeff and Leanne, I'm going to church this morning. But the nearest assembly is about 20 minutes away. and, And I didn't like to be away for all too long. So... I went up the road and there was a little Anglican church at the corner. I said, well, this will be okay. I'll just pop into the back seat. And I sat in the back seat. And uh, a lady of about my vintage came and sat beside me. And we sang. And it was a lovely service, actually. Beautiful, just like Budrum. It was no different to our service. It was just absolutely gorgeous. I loved it. I loved the word. I loved the teaching. And at the end of the service, the lady looked at me and she said... I think I know you. And I said, you know me? Where would you have seen me? At the school, picking up the grandkid? No, I don't have anything to do with that school. I go to another, help at another school. And she said, my name's Gail. And I said, well, I'm Bill Forward. That's, that's who you are. I know you. I know you. you. My father kept telling me about you when you went to India, when you went to Romania, when you went here, there, and everywhere. And she said, I was Gail German. My father was Frank. And she said, would you believe it? I was in India in January. And when I was in India, I went to its service. And the preacher was a man called Joseph D'Souza. I led him to the Lord 45 years ago. And he was the preacher. And she said, Joseph's old, old mother came up to me and she said, if ever you meet Bill Forward in Australia, please give him my love and greetings. (laughs) And here was this old dear sitting beside me, bringing a message from India. I tell you what, that made my Sunday morning. It was a God moment, one of those times when you really know God's at work. Before I get on to 2 Corinthians, I just want to share with you this video of my, my heroes. Somebody's done something to this, but any mind? Yeah. Okay. Now, this will just carry through. These are my heroes. They are Doug and Faye Jones. Faye is from Tasmania, and Doug is from Bundaberg. And they have served the Lord up in Burketown. It should just flow through. It's every second or two, it should just turn over. There we go. It's as far away from Brisbane as you can get. That little line there is the Northern Territory border. I just admire this couple for what they do and the pressures they're under the difficulties. Would you be happy to have a men's Bible study with those kids? An RE class at Doomagy. Doomagy's 100 k's away. Would you drive 100 k's to do RE? Uh, you might go on a crayfish trip.
Doug used to have a plane, but he had to sell the plane. It was too expensive. Now they travel everywhere by four-wheel drive. Would you go to a place called Bidu Bidunganga for a Bible study with three people? Who knows where that is, how far that is. To me, they are just wonderfully faithful servants of God. Doug is the wedding celebrant. He's also the funeral director. He's also the everything in that part of the world. I was there when he received a frozen dead body and he had to thaw it out for two days before he could conduct the funeral. I'm amazed by them. I just think that they are heroes of faith. And some of you have never even heard their names. Doug and Faye Jones. And they just serve God wonderfully well. Those ladies are so faithful. I've met some of them. heard Doug talk about this morning glory cloud it comes rolling across uh, at a certain time in the year and people in these um, yeah, gliders they get up into that and it carries them on well I'd like you to pray for them uh, Lindsay would you care to pray while I just switch this thing over for Doug and Faye particularly Father we want to thank you for Doug and Faye and the work they've done over so many years we thank you persevered when the seems often totally fruit in some aspects of your work. We just pray for encouragement for them. I pray that you would raise up other people to take on them because uh, they're getting all years. So bless them and encourage them and keep using them, particularly as women in your We pray that you would bless the church there that uh, might grow and stay strong. We help them to pray and thank you for them. Amen. Thanks, Lindsay. Now, as you realize, we're moving through 2 Corinthians and we're coming towards the end of it. I told you right at the outset that it divides naturally into these three segments and we're dealing with that third segment. I gave you my own little outline, uh, which I have in the back of my head all the time when I, when I think about 2 Corinthians. And we're dealing with that segment in red, dealing with the challenges that face our ministry Uh, Because when you serve God, Satan is certainly going to attack you. And that's really what was happening to the Apostle Paul. And that's what we're thinking about as we uh, look at chapter 11 today. There will be constant attacks on the work of God. And we should expect it. Paul warned the Corinthian believers. Remember back in chapter 2 verse 11, he said, We are very familiar with Satan's evil schemes. And that's the strategies that Satan uses He told the Ephesian believers that they needed to put on the whole armor of God so that they could stand against the strategies and the tricks that Satan uses 
And he goes on to say, we are not fighting against flesh and blood or not fighting against people, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of darkness who rule the world and against wicked... That's a bit frightening when you think about that's the unseen, the invisible enemy. But truly, that's exactly the way it is. The Bible talks about Satan as a roaring lion. And that, of course, is to make you afraid and to make you doubt and question. And he has used consistently through the ages, he's consistently used persecution and opposition. And uh, that is intended to make believers uh, be shaken in their faith and to doubt their faith and to say, is it worthwhile? And, well, it's nothing new. Jesus warned his disciples it was going to happen. He said, they've hated me, they'll hate you. They'll even think that by killing you, they're doing God's service and God's work. Expect it. The early believers, uh, the first church, they had it all the time. Look, Acts 5, 8, 12, 16, 17. 1819, almost every church was born in the midst of opposition. It wasn't easy. And today, even in our world, many, many believers are suffering. And we read about those who are being murdered. Did you hear about those believers who were thrown overboard or those Christians thrown overboard by Muslim fellows as they were on a refugee ship in the Mediterranean Sea? Well, it's going on. And in India, there are more and more people becoming martyrs for the faith. It's happening in Vietnam, it's happening in Laos, in Cambodia, and right around the world, Somalia, uh, and again, we know about it happening in, in Kenya as well. Now, these, uh, these attacks actually are counterproductive as far as Satan is concerned, because what happens is that the church is purified. Anyone who's not sincere is not going to hang around. Anyone who's not truly a believer will not stay. It'll be too dangerous to stay. And so they they leave the church. And so the church is actually purified, but also it causes believers to be completely united and to pray and to seek God's help because ultimately God is the only one who can rescue them out of these circumstances or God will use these circumstances to lead others to Christ. I was talking to Gladys Staines one day and Gladys Staines told me, she said, as I walk through the airport in India, people come up to me and say, I am believing in Jesus because your, your husband was, was burnt to death by, by these uh, radical people. God uses these things and, and there are many people who come to Christ even in the midst of persecution in spite of the persecution. Peter wrote about it. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange was happening to you. Expect it. Paul said, Everyone who wants to live a a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. But then Satan tries another trick. If that doesn't work, this is the one that I think he finds most successful, particularly in our kind of world. Because there's nobody out there going to put a knife in your back because you're a believer, because you came to church today. It happens in other parts of the world, but it's not happening here. And we've got absolute freedom to come and to go. But that's a deadly dangerous time. Because Satan has another guise. He's not only a roaring lion, he's an angel of light. And he would come within a church fellowship such as ours, or church fellowships right around the world, and he would seek to attack us at the spiritual level. He would want to attack our godliness. He wants to attack our devotion and our faithfulness to Christ. And these attacks generally come from within the church 
or from other so-called believers. And that's the danger because we may not see it happening. And there is a seduction going on that's gentle, it's, it's slow, but it's definitely there seeking to take us away from our faithfulness to Christ. Now last week you would have looked into chapter 10 and the first challenge is that of the spiritual warfare. In chapter 10, Paul talks about it. We're not fighting with flesh and blood. And he goes on to talk about the great dangers because what Satan wants to use is in this war against our souls, it's a war to turn us away from our commitment and our obedience to Christ. Remember, if you are truly a believer and you have repented of your sins, then that repentance is not a one-off thing that happened back then when you believed in Jesus. It's an ongoing attitude of commitment, of surrender, of obedience that needs to pass through right through every day of your life and you live a repenting life I like to think of repenting as a continuous present experience we are continually repenting in other words turning to God and walking in God's way not simply you did it back then and and that's what you're banking on but rather your whole lifestyle is now directed to living for God and pleasing him in every way And this war is definitely a war. It's not a video game. You can't switch it off. You can't sort of say, well, I had that today and put it aside. It doesn't happen that way. You know and I know that Satan is constantly attacking our souls. He's constantly bringing to our mind rebellious thoughts, lustful thoughts, selfish thoughts, and all sorts of things that are polluting. And whether you're 10, 12, 15, 70, or whatever age you are, even some of our 80-year-olds will be able to tell us that Satan never gives up. He always goes on attacking us at this spiritual level. But the answer you saw last Sunday was to bring every thought. It's always a battle within your mind. That's where the action is. This is where the answer is, to bring every thought captive to obey Christ and that's where Satan of course wants us to let our mind wander and he wants to pollute our mind he wants to seduce our mind he wants to take our minds away from Christ and uh, in the scripture that Nick mentioned earlier where Christ came and he was obedient unto death even though it was a death on the cross And we are told to let our minds, let our attitudes be like that of Jesus. So that's the answer to that particular challenge. Now that brings us to chapter 11, because there are more challenges here. And the first challenge is this challenge of unfaithfulness to Christ. Let's have a reading. I hope you will be patient, Paul says with me, as I keep on talking like a fool. Please bear with me. I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, to Christ, but I fear that somehow you will be led away from your pure and simple devotion to Christ just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. You seem to believe whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach about a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. You seem to believe what anyone tells you and that leads you away from a pure devotion to Christ now the Indians know all about this you see in India the system is and I've told some of you 
forgive me if I repeat myself, but I'm a father and I've got a beautiful daughter and I want to find for her the perfect husband, the best husband. She doesn't find a husband for herself because she's young and she doesn't know, but I know I'm her father and I am so concerned about my beautiful daughter. In fact, I am jealous for my beautiful daughter, just like God was jealous. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. I am not willing for you to have any connection with any other God, any other thing that's more important than I am in your life. Now that's godly jealousy. And so in India, well, it happens. The father's got this beautiful girl and he finds the perfect husband to be. So the arrangements are made. And the young man comes and they have an engagement ceremony. Now, he's never met the girl before, but anyhow, she hasn't met him either. But the arrangement is made. The father has done it. And the man comes and he gives her clothing. And when she accepts that clothing and goes away and puts it on and comes back again, that is her acceptance of this arrangement, the proposal. And then she gets a sweet and puts it in his mouth and he accepts it from her. And so now they're engaged. Well, that's good. They're engaged. He goes away and his task is to prepare a house for her. And she, well, her job is to get a, well, we'd call it a glory box. Old people call it a glory box or a hope chest or something like that. In other words, all the things that she needs for her everyday cooking and, uh, and housework, like pots and pans and cups and sauces and all that kind of stuff. And that's what she does. She gets it ready. But, you see, she's still living in the village and she still has to go to the well and get the water and she still has to go to the market and bring some potatoes or whatever, or rice or whatever, And because she's a beautiful girl and she's got a sari on and she goes down, but every time she takes a step, there's... You see, she has been betrothed to her one husband. He's gone away. And while she's still here, she has to get on with her normal everyday life But all the seductions, all the attractions, there's somebody around every corner whispering, come this way, you're a beautiful girl, why don't you come? And all the time this is going on. And Paul says, that's exactly how I see it. Jesus is your promised husband. Jesus is gone back to prepare the home for you. And here you are, my beautiful daughter. I'm your spiritual father. And I am determined to keep you, keep you pure as a virgin bride to be able to present you to your husband. But out there, there's all these wolfesses, all these people trying to lead you astray. And sadly, he says, I think that's what's happening to you. I think you're being attracted to them. You see, Paul was not willing for them to share their devotion to Christ with anything or anyone else. Brothers and sisters, this is the challenge of our day. What is more important to you than Jesus? Is anything more important to you with Jesus? 
My 10-year-old grandson's got an iPod. And the other day I was coming home with him from somewhere or another, and here he is with his iPod, and he's going flat out playing, I don't know what. And I said to him, what would happen if this thing broke? He says, my life would be, my life would be ended. My, I would have nothing. He's just been to Adelaide. You probably saw. They took him down there so he could spend time with his cousins in the midst of all of this. And, and I said to him, have you packed things? He says, I've got the essentials. I've got my iPod. Anything else? Nothing. I don't, I don't need anything as long as I've got that. And I thought to myself, this boy's got something to learn in life. That the most important thing for him is to know God and to know Jesus, not to play games and to fiddle with that thing. And you, I guess some of us have got things that are more important to us than Jesus is. And if so, then we are being seduced. We are being led astray. And this is what Paul says, I have this godly jealousy I will not want you to have anything in your life that is more important to you than Jesus is. So what's the answer here? Well, James had written about it. He said, you adulterers. Now that's a strong word, isn't it? You adulterers, he said. Don't you realize that if you are friends with this world, it makes you an enemy of God? I say... If your aim is to enjoy what the world is giving you, then you can't be a friend of God. I mean, they're strong words. You can't be a friend of God. Why do you think that? Why do you think the scriptures? What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealously guards, jealously guards, and longs for us to be faithful, faithful to Him? Well, that's the challenge to all of us, no matter how old we are, no matter how much we know Scripture, no matter what we've done in the past, it's what is our, what is our attitude today, what's important to us today. And the answer, well, really clearly, is clearly there, Paul says, I want you to have a pure and a sincere devotion to Christ. Sincere, I've heard, you've heard me say, Really, the root word sincere means with no gap filler, no cracks, no bogus things, a completely pure relationship with God. And that devotion to Christ is what's being challenged by this angel of light who is putting every conceivable thing in front of you to lead you away from your devotion to Christ. In Paul's case, the next issue was really this constant criticism. And from chapter 1 right through, we've been following where there were those within that church fellowship who were criticizing Paul. And as we read there, well, we could read these words. I don't think I'm inferior to these super apostles. I may not be a trained preacher, but I know what I'm talking about. I think you realize this by now, for we have proved it again and again. 
Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I love you. I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. So here were people, and if we read back into chapter 10 and go back to chapter 2 and chapter 7 and all these other chapters, they were saying, oh, he's a timid guy. He's not one of these really stand up and, and stand up for himself. He's so timid. In fact, he's actually really quite weak. I mean, if someone's got a really loud voice and a, an assertive attitude, well, Paul's not like that. Paul's not an assertive person at all. He's weak. That's what they were saying. And he's so humble. I mean, why doesn't he get up and say, listen, I, he, he's just too humble. I'm not sure you can be, but I think he doesn't assert himself. He won't demand financial support. He's not sort of saying to me, well, I'll come and preach to you if you give me this X amount of dollars. There are people in our world who do that. There are those who, who have a preaching fee of five grand. They'll come to your church and have a service for you for five grand, no problem. Paul says, I'm not like that. I did not want to be a burden. Anyhow, he'll respond. They talked about his ability. He's not a good preacher. He's not a good speaker. His words are not powerful. Paul says, I really only want to talk of one thing, and that's Christ crucified. Remember that verse? Just Christ crucified. And then about his authority. He's not really a true apostle. We've talked about that before. I mean, he wasn't with Jesus. He says he met Jesus on the road. But oh, he wasn't even there. So how can we equate him with Peter and John and all those others who were there with Jesus all of those years? He's not even a true apostle. Well, Paul says, I know what I'm, I'm talking about. I've kept myself from being a burden. God knows I love you. I'll keep on doing what. What had he been doing in God's service? Well, this is what he'd been doing. What any anyone else dares to boast about I'm speaking as a fool I, I also dare to boast about are they Hebrew? well I am are they Israelites? so am I are they Abraham's descendants? so am I are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this I am more I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently been flogged more sincerely, severely been exposed to death again and again five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked I spent a night and a day in the open sea I've been constantly on the move I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits in danger from my own countrymen in danger from Gentile in danger in the city in danger in the country in danger at sea in danger from false brothers and they were saying he was nobody I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food I've been cold and naked 
Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? I wonder if Paul ever, if when the Lord Jesus answered his request in Acts chapter 9 when he said, Who are you? I am Jesus. Then he said, What do you want me to do? If he'd known that he was to do all those sorts of things, how willing he would have been to say, Here am I, Lord. But what we know is that day by day, God gave him the grace. And we're going to learn that. Day by day, God strengthened him. God gave him the power. And then almost, he says, I faithfully serve Christ in spite of these many difficulties that I've just read. If I must boast, I'm going to boast of the things that show my weakness. I showed the signs we're going to read in chapter 12 of a true apostle. Don't question my authority as an apostle, he said. And then almost as if it was an afterthought, he said, oh, I almost forgot to mention that in Damascus while I was there, the governor under King Aratas had the, the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. That was another of the dangers he'd faced. He's forgotten to talk about it. He does mention it now. The answer really then for you and me is not where we've been, what we've done. There's none of us who can measure in any single way to what Paul was talking about there in terms of what he had suffered, what he had experienced. I mean, I've had some sleepless nights and I've never really been hungry. I've been really, really thirsty from time to time and dead, almost afraid. to. I remember once on one station in India, it was 45 degree temperatures, awful. And I'd run out of water and I saw a tap and I thought to myself, well, if I drink that, I'm almost certain to get diarrhea. I could get typhoid. I could get anything else. But I'd rather, I know they can cure that, but I'd rather have that than die of thirst. So I went out and I filled up all that I had to, with all this dirty water from the railway station and just trusted the Lord. I didn't actually get dysentery, but uh, there were times when I felt like that, that you reach a desperate stage when you'll do anything, take any kind of risk because you feel so bad. But none of us, there's not a one of us who's in this league with Paul. And yet here were people who were criticizing him. Now, it is true that within a church fellowship, there is a tendency for us to criticize the leadership of the church. It may not happen here, but it does happen in many churches. And I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, that we are not to do that. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to submit to them. We are to obey them. The reason is the Bible says they have this incredible responsibility to be the watchmen over our souls. They are the overseers of our souls. These brothers that God has raised up to serve us as leaders, their task and they are responsible to God. They give an answer to God for your soul and my soul. And if we are criticizing them, we are doing them a disservice, but we're also sinning against the Lord because these are the people whom God has raised up for us. And we need to be very sure that we are not party to the criticism. Have you an issue? Go talk to them. I find them very approachable. I'm very happy to talk to them about anything. And we need to know that that's our responsibility. 
But when it comes to you and to me and what we've done and where we've been and whatever else, we've got one reason only to boast. We can boast in Jesus Christ. We sing that, don't we? When we sing how deep the Father's love for us. We've got one grounds for standing before God. We've got one grounds for acceptance before God. We've got one grounds for anything that we do. And that thing that we do is that we believe in Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. And we can bow and acknowledge him and boast only of Jesus. But now comes the final challenge in this chapter. And this is something that the churches need to be aware of. Satan is a past master at presenting those who are counterfeits. I'm going to, I've used the word false teachers here, but really they are counterfeit teachers. They pretend. They're the ones that are, look like, they feel like, they seem like, in every sense, except that they are counterfeits. They're wrong. They're false. Paul says, I will continue to do this, what he had done, to cut the ground out from under the feet of those who boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They fooled you by disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. I'm not surprised even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light, he says. So it's no wonder his servants can also do it by pretending to be godly ministers. In the end, they will get every bit of punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, so I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone, listen to this, who enslaves you, who exploits you, who takes advantage of you, who pushes himself forward or even slaps you in the face. To my shame, Paul says, I admit we are too weak to do that kind of things if that's what weakness is. The world is full of them. I heard in Sydney just this last week of a preacher in India who's got a following on the internet and as soon as people get hooked into his scene, then you'll find that they sell their houses and they donate the money to his system. And then they, have to, they live in caravan parks and they're told that they're not to have possessed property, they're not to do this and not to do that, and a whole heap of things are going on. And I thought to myself, well, <clears throat> nothing's new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's been like that from the beginning. In the days of Jeremiah, there were false prophets. And God said about them, I didn't speak to them, yet they spoke. I didn't send them, yet they ran. They're false prophets, false, false men, false messengers. They've got nothing to say. They teach you the dreams of their own mind, not the word of the Lord. That was Jeremiah's experience. And it's our experience today because today in our world, there are many, many false teachers in their case the Corinthians they were teaching a false message about Jesus and Jesus is the topic I guess there are many who are teaching false things about the Holy Spirit false things about the gospel and one of the great tragedies of our day is a doctrine of prosperity or a doctrine of well-being a doctrine where that if you have the faith then you can yeah God 
will give me the red Mercedes. There it is. Oh, wow, I can see it. And look, Lord, I've got the faith. This nonsense, this kind of stuff. And so it's not new. It's always been there. There's false claims. They're making the claims that they are apostles of Christ and that they are ministers with a godly ministry. Well, not at all. Paul, Paul names them. He shames them. He says, these men are messengers from Satan intended to deceive and to divide God's people. And it happens again and again. If you glance through the scripture and just cast your eye through it, Satan is the deceiver. That's one of his names. He's the deceiver. He deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. And now he deceives believers. And we read about these counterfeit apostles and counterfeit teachers Peter talks about. Counterfeit gospel in Jude. Counterfeit holiness in 1 Timothy 4. Counterfeit assurance in Romans 13. A counterfeit faith that James talks about where it's a faith that does not have any outward effect. It's not faith with works. And he says it's a false faith. It's a counterfeit faith. In fact, counterfeit everything but the truth. They will not teach the truth. Well, what does a church like ours do? We need to be Bereans in the sense that we look at Scripture and we see that what is being taught is what the Bible says. And we're not taking anything upon ourselves to say, this is what our church teaches. It's not what our church is. This is not our church doctrine. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says. And of course, that's exactly how we can answer these false teachers and false teaching. And that is to expose them for what they are, messengers of Satan seeking to divide God's people to deceive God's people and to lead them astray. But as we sit in Budrum today and exposed to these same challenges, I want to ask you, which one of these is the challenge that you're facing today? Is it this challenge of a spiritual war for the control of your mind? Is that the challenge? Are you being seduced? Are you being influenced? Are you being overcome? Or is it that there is something in your life which is more important to you than Jesus is? That you are being led away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Is that the challenge? I'm fairly sure that constant criticism may not be your challenge, but it may be. You may feel that that's the challenge that's facing you. Unfair criticism, things that are not true being spoken about you. Well, if it's the challenge, then the answer is boast in Jesus. I stand in Jesus. I'm not a pleaser of men. I want to be a pleaser of God. I want to boast in Jesus. Or if it's the fact that you're being influenced by false teaching or false teachers, then the answer is very quickly to realize that such people are the messengers of Satan. So which one is yours? Which one is the challenge of your life? I would be... 
very hesitant to suggest that we are not facing any one of these challenges. Oh, no, no. We're, I'll guarantee that every one of us, at one point or another, is being challenged even today, even through this service, even through this week, this year, being challenged in one of those areas. The first, is that the battle? then you need to bring every thought to obey Christ. Yield again. Surrender to him again. Bring every thought to obey Christ. And if it's unfaithfulness to Christ, then you need to repent. You need to truly repent and confess that you have been unfaithful. You have been a friend of the world. You are a spiritual... I mean, this is strong language the Bible uses. A spiritual adulterer. It's spiritual immorality if you've lost your faithfulness to Christ. You need to repent, and each of us needs to examine our hearts at this time. Let me pray. Father, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it was with a heavy heart. Because he could see that the battle was there, and there were some who were succumbing, and they were yielding to the counterfeits and to the... the, the enticements of the world and being led away by these false teachers from their pure and simple devotion to Christ. Lord, we pray that all of us will be alert to these dangers, the challenges that face us, everyone, as we want to serve you and to please you day by day. So we ask, Lord, for your special grace. And if we need to repent, then Lord, give us the grace to truly repent. If we need to bring every thought captive to obey Christ, then help us to be vigilant and diligent in doing so, so that there is no loose ends that Satan can use to manipulate us. And if it means that we have to take drastic action like burning certain things and getting rid of other things, then help us to do those things, whatever's necessary, to ensure that we are winning this spiritual war. It's not a war that's against flesh and blood, but these unseen spiritual forces of darkness are there and they are so powerful we need truly to have the whole armor of God upon us as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So now we ask that as we learn these things that we will not simply go away and forget them but we'll make clear decisions today to put them into practice. We thank you that we've had the grace of the Spirit today upon us to be able to look at them, help us then to allow the Spirit to apply them to our hearts. Lord, we ask now that each of us will know the grace of our Lord Jesus in our daily walk. We will be truly filled and overflowing with the love of God in every aspect of our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhood, but also that each one of us will keep in step with the Spirit of God. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be our experience. We thank you for this morning and ask you to bless your word to us in our Savior's name. Amen. Thank you, friends. God bless you.